Welcome to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast. My name is Talea Dendi. I'm an 11-year cancer thriver, cancer doula, and owner of On the Other Side. I use my experience to help others get on the other side of cancer. Gaps between the guidance, emotional support, and education that are needed and what one receives can be huge. This podcast fills those gaps by sharing stories, resources, and information about all things related to cancer and wellness. I interview guests from all walks of life who are living with cancer, caregivers, and those who are thriving on the other side. Also, I talk with organizations, healthcare professionals, and experts in the health and wellness spaces who offer complimentary and integrative care. Join me. We are in this together. Disclaimer, the purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. The podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professionals and is not intended for the use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests who speak in a podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Conclusions. Neither Talea Dendi, Navigating Cancer Together, On the Other Side LLC, nor any of its affiliates endorses, supports, or opposes any treatment option or other matter discussed in a podcast. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy on a podcast should not be construed as an endorsement. Hello, everyone. This is Talea Dendi from OnTheOtherSide.life, and you're listening to the Navigating Cancer Together podcast, the show that has something for everyone facing cancer. Why? Because everyone is different with different needs, beliefs, and perspectives. Thank you for joining us for this episode. I encourage you to open your minds and your hearts. Today, our very special guest is Dr. Shani Fox. Dr. Shani Fox has stepped up over and over again to help cancer survivors through their greatest challenges, including taming fear of recurrence, repairing devastated relationships, and making the most of the life they survived for, bringing her unique expertise as both holistic physician and certified life mastery coach. Dr. Shani has impacted countless cancer survivors with her life-changing workshops and warm personal presence. Dr. Shani is the author of The Cancer Survivor's Fear First Aid Kit. She is also a popular speaker and podcast guest for survivor communities. Her posts and articles have been published in the Huffington Post, Breast Cancer Wellness Magazine, and the peer-reviewed Natural Medicine Journal. Dr. Shani, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you, Dr. Shani. Why don't we start off, Dr. Shani, a little bit about your experience in supporting your father through his diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, and then unfortunately, his ultimate passing. How did that impact your life and inform the work that you're doing today? It had a great impact on my life. I think a parent's death always does. But in my father's case, it was actually not just his death that had an impact. It was also his life. And I think I only realized that impact as he was passing. My father, 26 or so years earlier, he had been hit by a car and nearly killed as a pedestrian. Mm -hmm. And I was only 15 at the time. 
first of all, I learned very early on. I learned as a teenager how fragile life was. And of course, so did he. He did survive that experience. He then lived as if every single day, even every hour counted. What was important to him was to spend time with friends and with family. And that's exactly what he did whenever he could. So he was a man living in total alignment with his values and the way he wanted to live his life. When he finally passed away from pancreatic cancer, many years later, he had lived essentially a life of no regrets. I think a lot of us talk about that, but it's another thing to watch a person day by day and hour by hour create that. I think I only fully realized that as he was in his final stages, and I was with him when he passed away. I remember sitting with him and he was already on his way out, so not fully conscious. I guess it was that in that period of time that everything came down to me, everything, all these lessons from his life really solidified for me. And what happened for me after that was I realized that a life of regrets was worth striving for, but my life to that point, if I continued the way I was not going to be a life without regrets. So I had some major changes to make, which I then had to find support and do quite a lot of work, but I did proceed to make those changes. In the end, the lessons I learned from my father, my life, I would say, took a 180. It was really a very significant change in every aspect of my life. Thank you so much for sharing that, Dr. Shani. It's so important because it can either, like you said, happen to someone you love or it can happen to you. And you get that mirror where you say, what changes do I need to make in my life? And for me, it was when I got diagnosed with cancer. It's always good when we're able to see positive things in those difficult situations. And that sounds like that was the case with your father's pancreatic diagnosis. Yeah, even he himself, it was interesting, there was only 12 weeks from the time he was diagnosed to the time he passed. Pancreatic cancer is precipitous like that, it can be very often. The first half of those 12 weeks, he was still living <laughs> the way I described, the best he could. After that, he began to get weaker and it was less and less possible. But he did his darndest, even after that traumatic diagnosis, to continue to live in the way he was living with his values and his priorities. Dr. Shani, were you your father's primary caregiver at that time? No, I was not. That was my mother. Okay. My parents live on the East Coast. Both uh, My mother's still there. I am on the West Coast. So I can only pop in periodically and, of course, keep touch and touch my phone. No, I was not the primary caregiver, but it was perhaps it was a very unique situation that I was there nevertheless often. And in between, had a lot of time to process what I was seeing and experiencing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Let's segue now into more about what you've seen when you help people with cancer. And can you please tell us what's actually the most common side effect of cancer that you've seen? Uh -huh. Yeah. And this is not based, well, actually it is partly based on statistics, but this is something that many people don't realize that when people come out of cancer treatment, the common experience in the United States is that they receive, let's say their last chemotherapy or whatever treatment they're receiving, they receive that treatment. And when treatment is over, they are celebrated with balloons and cupcakes. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. But the next moment, the very next moment, it's basically goodbye, have a great life. They're dismissed from the system because the system is then moving on to the next person who needs to be actually treated. I have heard that moment described by some people as the most fearful they were in the entire journey. It's hard to get a diagnosis for sure, but that moment when they are let go by the system on their own. And they're full of questions that, and very often not even feeling well because treatment can be hard on a body, of course, and, and on the mind. So people have symptoms, people are tired, and they can be very blindsided all of a sudden by the fact that they don't have regular support, whereas they had it during treatment. 
of course, during treatment, you know exactly when you're supposed to be there and who's going to be there to support you and what you're supposed to do. And it's all very structured and determined. And then life beyond is not at all predetermined. It's literally the polar opposite. So it's very confusing and it can be very overwhelming. People feel very vulnerable knowing that they've just been through something that in many cases could have killed them. And they, they're not being given much, if anything, by way of guidance as to how to continue from here forward. It can be a very fearful moment. And this fear can persist. And in fact, it often does. And this research says that 70% of survivors are experiencing either intermittent or persistent fear about what I've just described, about their life going forward. 70%, that's a convincing majority. That's actually, that makes fear, especially fear of recurrence, the most common side effect of cancer, as far as I'm concerned. People don't usually describe it that way, but it is. I am in agreement with you, Dr. Shani, because I remember that moment. Like you said, you're celebrated, they're ringing the bell. You're happy in the sense that, okay, the treatment's over. But I can remember having that conversation with my doctor and he's like, okay, you've done really well. We'll see you in three months. I just kind of looked at him like, what do you mean three months? What am I supposed to do for three months? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I get it. And that's, that is a very common experience. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. What are some of the burning questions cancer survivors want answers for if only they had someone to ask? There's quite a few of these. I'd have to say that based on the people who have come to me for support, probably the number one is what do I need to do so that doesn't happen again? Yeah. Yeah. And that could range anything from nutrition and exercise, which of course plays a major role and anything else that's in the person's picture. This is where they begin to start looking at their lives and saying, oh, because I was doing that, is that why I got cancer? Is that why I got cancer? Cancer is very complex. We can very rarely draw a straight line from a certain cause to reason a person got cancer. And that's the answers we want. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I'm not saying this is a question that's easily answered, but nevertheless, there is a lot a person can do to improve their odds of not having to face that again. And that ranges from everything from physical measures like perhaps eating better, moving your body. And the statistic out there that is actually stunning that most people aren't aware of. This was studied in both breast cancer survivors and lung cancer survivors. So one of the most common cancers, breast cancer and lung cancer, one of the most deadly, unfortunately, they discovered that exercise, and we're not talking about the Olympics here, we're talking about moderate walking. So 150 minutes of walking a day, let's say five 30-minute sessions of walking a week is enough to cut the risk of recurrence by a third to a half. And there isn't a medication that can do that. So exercise is extremely, and it's, it's even documented how extremely effective it is. It's extremely effective at reducing the chances. Guarantee? No, there are no guarantees. But gee, that's a great card to have in your deck. So certainly physical things that a person can do. Then there are the psychological things. You know, what people often will take this opportunity, and this is a good thing, it can be difficult, but it's a good thing to have a look back and say, you know, what has been bugging me that I haven't dealt with? Sometimes this is relationships, or sometimes it's relationship events that happened during the cancer episode. We thought things were okay, and then somebody didn't show up for us the way they wanted to. This is a big stress in people's lives. That's true. Yeah. Going back to sibling relationships or even marriages, it's not that we have to take these apart necessarily, but we have to look and say, gee, I've been settling for certain things and it could be so much better for me and the other person in the relationship. So this is an opportunity to address things like that. People who have been working a job that they can't stand, but they have been fearful of making a change. Again, this is not everybody, but to the extent that these factors 
exist, it's well known that stress plays a role in worsening a person's chances of both survival and survival without symptoms or recurrence. Why not? This is a perfect opportunity to deal with those things. And of course, these are large things I'm talking about. I'm not saying this lightly. This is a great time to get support because these issues can be so challenging to deal with on one's own. That's so true, Dr. Shani. And a lot of the things that you mentioned are a lot of the things that occurred in my life, even during cancer. So yes, very major life changes that happen as a result of a cancer diagnosis, and especially into survivorship, because there's just so many things that you've been through even before cancer. And I think that when you have to stare death in the face, so to speak, that's when those things really become apparent that, hey, there's some things I need to take care of. Yes. And I think that's exactly where my father found himself, having had that terrible accident, realizing it could have been all over. And I'm the oldest of his children and the others were younger. Yes, exactly. So he did exactly that. He didn't end up dying. And it, was a, and it wasn't cancer at the time, but nevertheless, he reevaluated and created a whole new life. And this is possible for any of us, whether it's cancer is the cause or something else life-changing, but it, it is possible to take one's power and create the changes that some part of us knows we should have been making all along. What do you see as the dangerous gap in the medical system's care for cancer survivors? In my opinion, it's exactly what we have mentioned, that people are essentially let go at a time when they really need further support. The system is very focused on treatment, and it needs to be. No disrespect meant there at all. It's very important that people get the treatment they need, but there's still a misunderstanding that when treatment is over, things are done. We're done. And it just isn't true. I think just about any survivor, one would ask, there will be residual issues that the medical system is not providing adequate support for. It's starting to come to the system's awareness. In other words, there are now places that say they have a survivorship program. And very often what they will be offering, they might offer some nutrition guidance. That's a good thing. They may be offering things like massage and yoga, also a good thing. These are all good things. But based on what I've described so far as the extent of people's issues, it's not enough it's not nearly enough. For example, if fear affects 70% of survivors, then why aren't we anticipating this? Why aren't we anticipating this? The majority of people are going to have a lot of fear still, even though, in at least in the best case, their bodies are, to all evidence, they're free of cancer. They're still going to have that fear. Why are we not evaluating every survivor for their need for psychological support in this case, for example? I agree. And that fear hangs around for a while. For some people, it's once they reach that five-year mark when they typically say you're free and clear. For other people, it's a lot longer depending upon what they've gone through. So just even five years to be riddled with constant fear, that's a long time. And that in itself can impact reoccurrence because it's putting stress on your immune system. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're so right about that. Dr. Shani, what are some make or break factors that separate survivors who thrive from those who don't? Mm. So if we back up a little bit to the point of diagnosis, again, the typical experience for cancers that need to be treated, there are a few like prostate cancer, for example, that sometimes we watch and just evaluate later on. The majority of people do need to go into some sort of treatment. So what happens is that essentially at the point of diagnosis, the system takes over and you are funneled immediately. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. People need treatment, sure. But you're funneled into a system which makes all the decisions for you. You're given a plan and you're told exactly what to do and when it's going to happen. And that lasts either weeks, more often months, 
So there's a long period of time where essentially your decision-making capability, at least with respect to this aspect of your life, has been assigned to the system. And there's very few people that would go against that. Again, I'm not recommending it, but this is what happens. So what happens then at the other end is that when people come out, in addition to the things we've described already with the questions that they have and the physical state that they're in, they've also essentially, this is unintended, but they come out disempowered because the system has been making decisions for them all along. Now they're in a place where they are left to make their own decisions and they really don't have the criteria or any sense of how to do that. Again, it's not a reflection of them as a person. It's just having been from the moment they entered this world, being essentially relieved of their decision-making capability, and then they're put back into it without any preparation or support. So survivors who thrive, they may not consciously realize it, but the reason they're set to thrive is because something in them, intuition or whatever it is, says, okay, I've got to take this into my own hands. Now, it doesn't mean I can't have support. In fact, it's helpful to have support. But there's something in them that says, okay, it's up to me now. And I've got to find my A team. I've got to find the people who are going to support me. I'm going to find out what it is I need to do to the best of my ability and begin to do it. And again, it's great to hold people's hands as you do that. Unfortunately, the system does not provide those hands to hold. So it leaves it to the survivor to find that. But nevertheless, this to me is a make or break factor. The ones who continue to waffle and remain in that place of uncertainty for any length of time, that's going to begin to wear on them and make them more and more fearful because they feel like they're out of control. They're not in charge of their own lives. Dr. Shani, you mentioned that this typically starts when someone starts into the treatment and they start talking with their doctors, their doctors are making these decisions. Are you suggesting that people become involved in their care early on so that they don't feel like they don't have the power, they don't know what to do, so that they're more versed, I should say, in making some decisions for themselves. So when they are dismissed or let go, when they reach the end of their treatment, they feel a little more empowered. Yes, if at all possible, I do recommend that. Another fact is that, again, this initiation of treatment happens so fast that people are typically, patients are typically not asked what their choices are, what their values are, what their opinions are. And It's not that we need to question the treatment necessarily, but we should take, you know, it would be nice. And by the way, this is usually, most cases, there usually is enough of a window that a person can do this without incurring worse health effects. There's nothing wrong with getting diagnosis and then maybe having a phone call with somebody, let's say three days later, after has a little bit of chance to land and take the questions and that sort of thing. And because people are not asked, how do you feel about this? We may not have a lot of choice here, but what are your questions now? And how can we make this more comfortable for you? Is there any part of you that's resisting this? What should we do with that? I'm not recommending that people go another path in terms of the medical treatment, but just letting it land, what just happened, is important because only when we feel that can we begin to say, okay, if I find myself uncomfortable with something, A, I have a chance to talk about it, and B, I have a chance to look at what my alternatives are. Again, not necessarily an alternative to the treatment that's being proposed, but for example, there are ways to make treatment easier to bear. Lots of support is available to address side effects to help a person remain relaxed and less stressed as things are going on. Acupuncture is wonderful for this massage. Why not during treatment when it's so hard on the body? And this is not often recommended by the medical system. Sometimes it is, but not often enough. So sometimes it's about just getting through in a more supported fashion. So there's lots of things that could come out of allowing a person a chance to just digest a little bit what just happened and letting them be a full partner in determining what happens going forward. Again, not that they doubt their doctor's decision necessarily, but to get on board with it, to to fully feel like, okay, this feels right to me. This feels 
or not. But generally speaking, just taking it in and saying, okay, I'm ready now. I align with this. I was very fortunate when I was in medical school to have a doctor say to me, a doctor that I considered a mentor, he said to me, the best treatment is one that you feel good about your competency to administer, but also that the patient feels aligned with, that the patient is ready to receive. Because when you're offering something that the patient is not in alignment with, there's going to be that stress and they're going to keep doubting themselves. And then that will contribute down the line to that self-doubt, for example, in survivorship. So allowing a person time to just orient themselves and get on board and say, okay, for this point in time, yes, I believe this is the best thing for me too. Then the patient's going to receive more fully that treatment with a better outcome. I agree with that, Dr. Shani. And you're right. It's so important to give a person time to just let it all sink in. Also, one thing that came to my mind was when you have time to sit with information that has been shared with you, especially information that important and critical, one does need time to just let that sink in. But then also, I believe that's important because it can allow that person time to think about other questions and think about how it may impact other areas of their life. Whereas if you're rushed into something, you don't have time to think about any of that. And like you said, that can create that resistance. Yes, indeed. Unfortunately, this is another issue that people often don't feel heard in the medical system. The medical system has a lot of confidence in its own authority. And again, I'm not saying it's totally misplaced. And There's a lot they can do for us and we're blessed to have it. But there are people who find doubts arising in their own mind, even if they express them, which they don't always, but even if they express them, they're not always heard. For example, we've been talking about fear. When a person says, I can't tell you how many people have said this to me. I said to my doctor or nurse practitioner or whoever, I said to them, I'm still feeling terrible fear. And what they got back is, oh, but you're done and the treatment was successful. There's no need to be fearful anymore. That's invalidating a person's emotions. Nobody deserves that. They need to be validated. Again, the problem is the system doesn't know what to do about that. It's another way of saying, I don't know what to do with that. Unfortunately, The answers may not be within the system, but they should be encouraged to seek out the support that they need, but validated. First of all, I understand why you could be in fear right now and not having it dismissed out of hand. I agree with that, Dr. Shani. Also, when that happens to a patient, they don't want to talk about anything anymore. That's right. So they don't, they're not seeking support elsewhere or with the doctor or anywhere because yeah. they don't want to feel that feeling anymore. No, they don't. They don't. And unfortunately, sometimes that has disastrous consequences. And again, the patient didn't know that and the doctor may not have even known that. This is unfortunate, but I will say it. Recently, I've run into two patients who got their treatment, were doing very well in survivorship to the point where at maybe two to three years, the doctor said, okay, you don't have to come back anymore for scans or blood tests or anything. Then around four years or four and a half years, the person doesn't feel, it's not specific, but they're not feeling well. And they've not been under surveillance. And the person knows something's wrong with this picture. And they go back and the doctor says, oh, but you've been fine. They don't even necessarily do this. I just encountered this. And it turned out this woman was in full recurrence. Oh, wow. In metastasized recurrence. And she knew she didn't feel well, but the doctor was blowing it off. Oh, you're fine. It's as if he wanted to hit that five-year mark and be done with it. So the medical system occasionally, it doesn't happen often, and I'm not saying the medical system generally messes up, but this has happened where they're not paying enough attention. And a person even finds himself back into recurrence because they're not being heard. They're not being heard. So if something is coming up that feels like it needs to be said, by all means say it. And if it's not addressed to your satisfaction, find somebody who will support you, get a second opinion, whatever you need to do, but make sure that you are heard. It's an important thing. It's an important piece of the empowerment picture. 
Great advice. How can every survivor make the most of the life that they survive starting today for the survivors who are listening? I think that starts with simply listening to your inner voice. Get good at listening to your inner voice. The same one I essentially just described when I said, there's something I need to say and I haven't said it yet, or I've said it and I haven't been heard. That inner voice, something we need to realize, that inner voice never lies to us. That inner voice only tells us the truth. And so if we have an intuition that something is amiss, then listen to that voice and gently and compassionately with yourself, but follow that thread. See what it is you need to do. Listen to what's coming up inside. This inner voice can tell you all kinds of things like that relationship is too stressful, either repair it or leave it. I know that's not an easy thing to hear, but it's guiding you to where you're going to live more peacefully after that. And hopefully there is a repair. Again, I'm not telling anybody to end relationships just because. Find out what can be done. Try a repair and see if that works or see if something needs to be changed in the bigger picture. It's your inner voice is telling you it's okay to have a little chocolate once in a while, that sort of thing. A little indulgence once in a while is fine. Today, there was really too much fried food. This is not nourishing you. Say, thank you for saying that inner voice. You're really wise. Let me think about what changes I can make. And again, I'm all for baby step changes. Nothing has to be immediately 180 in a day or a week. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be small increments. But the fact that you're walking in the direction of what your intuition is telling you is going to feel more peaceful to you and less stressful. It is. It might be, you know, it, this would be a good time to start to exercise. Whatever your inner voice is telling you, listen, maybe you need more rest. Maybe your inner voice is saying, it would be good if you could have a little more rest. What do you need in order to make that happen? In almost any aspect of life, you can find that inner voice guiding you. And it's probably, I wouldn't even say probably, it's beneficial. So get good at listening to what you know is true. And that's coming up as that inner voice inside of you. Dr. Shani, for the people out there listening, great advice, by the way, who seek outside of themselves, even when that voice is telling them, what they need to do, what they need to consider. But for the folks listening who still feel like they need to consult with others and ask for their opinion, because mm -hmm. some people struggle with that. What do you recommend they do? How do you recommend they get more in tune with what that inner voice is saying? First of all, I have no objection whatsoever to getting other opinions getting more information, if that feels helpful. No, no problem at all with that. In fact, that can be very beneficial because none of us, by the way, including our doctors, knows everything. <laughs> yeah, that's, we, none of us knows everything. So getting more information or other opinions, there's nothing wrong with that. But once you have that information in hand, come back yet again to your inner voice and say, what does my inner voice think about this? Because the fact of the matter is that what worked for somebody else may or may not be helpful to me. And so it's great. It's great that it worked for them. And I can even try it out. But if I'm not feeling fully aligned with it, then it's my job to keep looking. So we can take in information. In fact, it's often very important that we do, but come back always to the inner voice. And for people who struggle with that, this is a great opportunity for coaching or spiritual counseling or whatever a person prefers by way of support for the spirit, support for that inner voice, essentially somebody who can help you hear it and help you then align your actions to follow what you're hearing once it's clear to you what you're meant to do. Again, I don't at all discount the fact that this can be difficult and new for some people, but it's one of the very best things a person can do to live 
an empowered life, to feel like they're back in charge of their life, whether they've been through cancer or any number of other (laughs) incidents in their life. But certainly it's applicable after cancer treatment and after the disempowerment that we described before. This is a very important place to come back to. Thank you, Dr. Shani. You personally have had great success with the individuals that you have supported. Having a good doctor-patient relationship is critical to one's outcome, as we've been talking about here. What can doctors and patients do to nurture more trust? A good, very good question. I love that question. In my mind, that would be that patients speak up more and doctors listen more. That's simple. Yeah, because as we've been saying, it is the patient. You know, I often will tell my the people I work with, I'll tell my clients, nobody's more of an expert on what's happening with you than you. <laughs> the doctor needs to hear. They may not even know. Again, it may not be at all a question of malintention. They simply may not know what's going on for you. And so it's your job to bring that to the table, whether it's I'm experiencing a side effect that hasn't been addressed yet, or I'm in fear, or I have questions that nobody's answered yet of some sort about my treatment, whatever. So the patients need to be responsible for speaking up and asking questions and expressing their emotions when that feels like it's needed. That's okay. Even the hard ones, the sad ones, the confusing ones, it's okay. It's okay. All emotions are valid, especially on the cancer journey when things are stressful and rollercoastery and Sometimes you never know where you are from day to day. So emotions are valid and it's okay to express them. So patients express yourself, ask, and then the doctors, if you, for any reason, feel like your doctor hasn't heard you, try again. Again, sometimes they're in a little bit of a hurry and they try again. But if after one or two or three tries, you're not feeling heard, then you probably need somebody else on your team. It might be a different doctor, but even if it's not a different doctor, it might be like you have a nurse or a nurse practitioner who listens when the doctor's too hurried or can intervene for you and say, I'm still not sure that Dr. A heard my question. Is it possible you could ask again and let me know what he says? Get support. Maybe it's a family member who came with you to the appointment or something. Support's available in a lot of different places. And patients should know that, by the way. They should never feel like they're without support. Somebody is available to help you always, but it is a matter of finding the person who can. That is excellent advice. It can be very frustrating when your doctor doesn't hear you, but I love how you said, talk to your nurse practitioner, find someone else. And I think that is a great advice because it's natural to just feel shut down. Oh, I'm not going to get anywhere here, but I think that's wonderful. Yes, there are other people you can talk to within that team. Yes. And then if you're still not feeling heard, if there's certain things that just simply the medical bias is not allowing them to hear, then you start to go outside. This is where coaching can be very helpful. This is the sort of thing that I do when people run into a wall with the medical system or in any other way. That's where I come in because I have an objectivity. I have a medical background, so I understand, but I'm not within the system myself anymore. I don't see medical patients anymore. So I have more perspective. I have another perspective and perspective can be very valuable. Yes, indeed. Based on the work that you do, in what ways can oncologists and the healthcare teams that are focused on treating cancer work more cohesively with doctors such as yourself to better provide holistic or whole person care for cancer patients and cancer survivors? It takes a village. It does. And people, including patients, are more and more realizing this that this is not just about the oncologist. Again, they have full respect for oncologists. They serve a very important role. But the truth of the matter is, with all their expertise, they can't do everything. They can't, and they're not trained to, by the way. So for example, survivorship is not actually the purview of oncologists. Treatment is the purview of oncologists, and we need them there, of course. But survivorship requires people who have more time to listen, who have more tools at their disposal than oncologists do, because they're simply not trained in this. 
if I had my druthers, there would be a specialty within medicine or nursing or something about survivorship because it doesn't exist yet. It doesn't exist. I would really love to see a clinic just for survivors, just focused on that. I think that is so needed. I pray that comes into existence soon because many people are struggling with you and that there be an automatic handover. Yes. Yes. This is another interesting thing. So this is probably now 10 to 15 years ago, major paper was written, a major report was written, intended for physicians about the importance of survivorship care. And the major practical action step that came out of that was the concept of a survivorship care plan, which sounds great. It sounds great. I'm all in favor of it, but most people still are not receiving these from their They're not. No. And even when they do, very often what it looks like is a description of the treatment that a person has had. So there can be an anticipation of what side effects they might incur or what kind of follow-up they need in terms of tests and scans. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But based on our conversation today, it's such a small portion of what's needed. (laughs) Why are people not, for example, evaluated for their psychological state at the end of treatment? Some people will not need support that way, but many do. That should be an automatic part of it. And then the appropriate professional brought, or at least recommended, a potential referral made there. If a person really has no clue about how to nourish themselves, automatically send them to a nutritionist or whatever. All these pieces that we've described today, there should be a team waiting there. And the doctor can say, okay, A, B, and C are the particular issues that you seem to struggle with most. Okay, here are three referrals for you right away. And it's absolutely not part of the system yet. It is not. And there's still a lot of denial of the problems, as we've said. Yeah, I think the greatest thing that the medical system could do is just simply recognize that, it, as you said, it takes a village and that their expertise does not cover all those facets of the care and be willing to refer. Yeah, I love that. Back in 2011, I was given a survivorship care plan, very helpful for the medical piece, you know, what to do, what to look out for. These appointments stay on top of that. Very helpful. But do you know, Dr. Shani, will you do know? I ask people today, they're like, I never even heard of that. They don't know what that is. They don't know what to do next. So I want to transition, Dr. Shani, more into the work that you do and how you work with the people that you support. Can you please tell us more about some of the things that you do, but then also for folks out there listening, how they can get in touch with you if they would like to get your support? Yes, thank you. What I do is I meet survivors where they're at. Occasionally, I'll work with cancer patients too, and occasionally I'll work with people who are supporting the cancer patient. It's all possible when needed. But most of my work is with survivors themselves. And I simply meet them where they're at. I, from long experience at this point, I am asking all these questions that the system is not asking them. First of all, how are you feeling physically? How's your energy? And how are your relationships doing? Are you at peace on that front or are there things that need to be shifted? How do you find yourself on a day-to-day basis? Are you able to have fun again? Are you able to enjoy life again? If not, or not so much, what's in the way? What do you think is in the way? So I I go ahead and I ask these questions that are not yet being asked by the system. And then depending on what I hear, I'll begin a coaching program. It depends, length and everything else depends. It's always tailored to the individual, but I'm there to help a person pick up these loose ends and make progress. And the way we make progress, and I think this is honestly my greatest value to people, is that I re-empower people. I help people look at what they're dealing with. And I may offer some of my expertise, but mostly it's about them choosing. What do you choose to do? 
at this point in time. Here are some options. What feels right to you? And then I help them get started. But again, no matter what aspect of their care it is. So I want people to learn to make the choices again, knowledgeably and feeling good about the choices, not that they're being forced or shunted into some program or, and certainly not a one size fits all, because again, cancer survivorship is as unique as individuals are. So finding what a person needs and helping them find support for that. Very often it's the fear. Very often people are saying, how long do I have to live with this thing on my shoulder? I have some expertise in dealing with the fear. Can't make it go away because we're actually biologically wired that way to feel fear. But I can give a person a lot of tools to deal with it when it arises and eventually sideline it so that it may be present, but it's way in the background because you're so busy enjoying your life. Dr. Shani, where can people find you? My website is www.drshanifox.com. So dr S-H-A-N-I-F-O-X.com. You'll find a blog there. You'll find recordings of some of the past podcasts that I've done, a number of resources, and you'll also find ways to get in touch with me there. If I can be of service, I'd be honored to do so. Thank you, Dr. Shani. I will include that in the listen notes so that the listeners can easily find it. Another question I have about your work. Number one, I wish I would have known you Back then, when I entered into survivorship, it would have made a world of difference. So thank you for all that you do to support survivors. Also, how do you work with your clients, Dr. Shani? Is it in person only, virtual? No, it was always virtual, actually, even before COVID, because people can reach me from anywhere that they are. I live in Portland, Oregon. We actually have a fair assortment of services available in terms of holistic medicine and holistic care here that don't exist in other parts of the country. So there's other places where people need this and it's not even available for them. I want to make sure that people can reach me. Yes, it's done over Zoom. And usually I'll set up a series of sessions to start with a person. That way we can do a good evaluation and really expose what it is that's really been hard for them, what they're struggling with, and create plans to move forward and look at what's been in the way and what's still in the way. So I act as a life coach in this capacity, but I'm a specialized life coach, 100% specialized in cancer survivorship. Wonderful. Dr. Shani, before we wrap up today, please tell the audience about your book, The Cancer Survivor's Fear First Aid Kit. I love that title. (laughs) What is this book about? And what is one thing that the readers can walk away with after they read the book? So it's actually a little kit. The book, it's a short little book that explains a method for dealing with fear right as it arises. Because as we all know, the longer fear hangs around, the worse it seems to get. So to the extent that I wake up and I'm feeling some of that fear, it's things that I can do right away in order to move that fear aside and refocus on what's important, which is living my life today as if I believe in my life, I believe in aliveness, and I want to enjoy it. (laughs) So that's its intent. It's a short book. It's a workbook for those who often you know like to write things out. There's also a CD in there with some guided meditations. And then there's a quick guide. In other words, there's a method that's put forward here. So a little quick guide that you can put on your refrigerator that guides you through the five steps to feeling fear, to being able to take back your day. What I'd want people to know, and that is in fact the intent of this little kit, is that fear can seem very scary and very powerful. But when you know how, you can be more powerful in your fear. You can take the upper hand. So we can't get rid of it, but we can take the upper hand. And that's what I'm attempting to teach people to do. And this is a get started kit of the first steps in how to do that. Where can they find your book? On Amazon. So if you type in the title, The Cancer Survivors Fear First Aid Kit, you'll find it. Or I suppose if you put my name in there too, you'll find me as the author and that's easy too, whatever's easiest. Wonderful. I will also include that link in the lesson notes as well. Dr. Shani, before we end, is there anything else that you would like to share? 
I would just want to tell survivors that there is nothing about your experience that you have to continue to suffer with. Nothing at all. There is somebody who can help you. And so to the extent that you are not feeling at peace, reach out, reach out and know that sooner or later, you will find the personal resource that you need. Don't give up. Great advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Shani, for your time and all the wonderful information that you've shared. I know that it will definitely help the folks out there listening today. I appreciate you, Dr. Shani, for supporting survivors such as myself, who oftentimes after we've gone through that storm, we feel lost. So thank you. Ah, you're most welcome. It's been a great joy to be here with you today. Thank you. Before we end today, I would like to give a shout out to the listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoy this episode, please share, follow, or subscribe so that you can easily find my podcast and listen again. That is it for this Wednesday. And until next time, let's keep navigating cancer together. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Navigating Cancer Together. I hope you enjoyed it. Please be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, please share or tell your friends and family about it. For notes from the show and previous episodes, visit ontheotherside.life and check out the podcast section. I would love it if you joined us for the next episode. Talk to you soon.